Welcome, Dan, and, and uh, thanks for taking the time to speak with me about the Cultural Cognition Project. Sure. So you're a professor of law at Yale, and I know that you once uh, clerked for uh, Supreme Court Justice Thurgood Marshall, and you were president of the prestigious Harvard Law Review. So how is it that we find you interested in the topics relating to public discourse about risk and science policy issues like climate change? I, I've just been really lucky to be in a place where I can continue uh, to, to expose myself to really interesting things in the presence of really interesting people. Um, a lot of the, the people I work with uh, now are people who've been, uh, that I've met here at Yale um, and otherwise. I mean, there is an evolution of this um, from, from work that I've done. Um, my, my work uh, primarily was on uh, uh, social psychology and criminal law, um, and uh, lots of the issues I was interested there um, led me into to investigations of uh, what the relationship is between people's values, say, on things like uh, 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 gun control or the death penalty, and, and the views they have about the kinds of facts um, that policy debate assumes are consequential there. Um, it, it's, it's a remarkable um, kind of, uh, well, it's either a disconnect or just some kind of a strange uh, coincidence <laughs> that needs to be explained. That we're focusing on uh, policy facts. Um, you know, what, what, what is the consequence of gun control laws? Um, what happens when you have the death penalty? These are hard issues. Um, but, but people's views on these are not randomly distributed. <laughs> we, we know um, that people who have certain kinds of outlooks are going to be on these kinds of issues. Um, that, that's the puzzle, um, broadly stated. Um, that's the focus of our, of our research. Um, that, that this kind of amazing um, uh, uh, clustering um, of people's uh, uh, positions. Um, that if, if you know how people feel about um, the death penalty, you probably know how they feel about climate change. You probably know how they feel about nuclear power. You probably know how they feel about the risks and benefits of vaccinating uh, schoolgirls for the for the for human papilloma virus. You know, obviously, um, the reason that these views are clustering together isn't that they turn on any shared set of causal mechanisms, right? Um, so, what is it um, that links these things together? Um, and of course, that that fascinated me when I was looking at issues. Um, relating to, to regulation and criminal law and to some extent risk regulation, um, the methods that we use to try to make sense of those had general application. Um, but basically, I've just been uh, tremendously fortunate um, to be able to fall into uh, collaborations um, with really brilliant people um, and to keep learning. Um, so, you know, but that, that's, just a, that's just a personal a personal side of it, but uh, you know, and I, I, it's it's the, it's the reason to be an academic because you can keep learning. So uh, most of those who will uh, be the likely listeners to the podcast will want to understand, so to speak, the executive summary or the headline uh, first before we get into the interesting details. Yeah. And so for listeners who are new to it, um, can you briefly state your key insights? To understand it, it's useful to think um, of a of a kind of startling. Um, uh, uh, well, maybe it's a paradox, um, and it's not, it's not unlike the one I was already mentioning about uh, this clustering of the, the, the people's views with their values. Um, now, see how this works in an interview. 
but but imagine <laughs> imagine a little graph here and on the on the the x-axis you can think about um, just the, the the advance of knowledge over time right over over the course of, of human experience we've been acquiring knowledge um, on the y-axis think about the degree of, of general acceptance of facts about how the world works right and the question is do you think that the line on that graph slopes upward or downward in other words do you think that as we learn more over time um, the, the line slopes upward we're agreeing on more and more slopes downward we're agreeing on less and less or stays constant um, now the fact the truth of the matter is it's just clear um, we know more than humans have known at any time but we agree less we agree less on many uh, tremendous facts of consequence you know when when Justinian said that sodomites caused earthquakes you know he didn't <laughs> there was a lot of consensus on it there wasn't much dispute about it he didn't know what he was talking about right now here we're talking we've got people who understand you know gee earthquakes come from plate tectonics and they know something about climate change and all of these kinds of things but there's actually less agreement about this right why and in fact that there's there's tremendous political dissensus about it um, what explains that right that's the kind of um, the, the kind of uh, motivation for the the work um, the reason you have disagreement about climate change the reason you have disagreement you know about the HPV vaccine the reason you have disagreement about nuclear power these are issues in which the 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 systems the networks of social and cultural certification that people of diverse values rely on are getting crossed up and tangled up right and, and that that's a condition that leads to persistent dissensus and it can even it can it can devolve into a real kind of political pathology that makes it even harder um, to work out. So in our work, what we do is try to identify what are the kinds of cultural values that people have um, that locate them within different systems of, of uh, cues and practices for identifying who they can believe about what um, and explain these kind of puzzling patterns. Um, that we see about the division um, and, and why is it you know what causes them to come into conflict and then hopefully what can you do to get them out of conflict um, not necessarily to make anybody believe any particular thing about uh, any of these issues but just to satisfy the interest presumably they would all have um, in being able to be confident that they're 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 able to identify and, and give uh, serious consideration to the best information we have. Without attempting in any way to minimize or, or compress what you just said, would it be unfair as a one sentence a kind of distillation uh, to note that um, uh, people tend to uh, reject information that threatens their core beliefs? Uh, this isn't inevitable, um, but, but when, a, when a factual claim becomes connected to some kind of, of a social or political meaning, um, that is challenging to the values or status um, or the important activities of a group um, that will create um, a, 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 
uh, a difficulty um, in having in communicating information to those people. Uh, so, um, just to clarify, since we're talking about um, in all of this the uh, cultural cognition um, hypothesis. Um, to be clear, why do you say cognition um, rather than perhaps the more garden variety understanding? You need something else besides understanding, don't you? Cognition primarily um, to emphasize um, well, two, two reasons. We say cultural cognition. In cultural cognition of risk is the idea that people tend to conform their beliefs um, about societal dangers um, or how to, to abate those dangers to their cultural appraisals um, of the activities in question. Um, the, the same cultural cognition um, distinguishes that claim from, from a, a couple of other claims. One would be just that uh, people use their cultural values uh, to decide um, uh, uh, what, what kinds of risks they're willing to undertake to achieve what kinds of ends. I mean, obviously, we, what we care about um, and what we're afraid of, um, the kinds of things we, we want to achieve, will determine what sorts of risks we'll take, and people with different values will have different views on those. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about cases where people would agree. You know, no, nobody, nobody wants to, to uh, suffer calamity. Um, nobody wants to get sick. You know, nobody wants to have uh, the country made insecure from domestic terrorism or something like this. Um, but people who have different values systematically end up with different beliefs about what kinds, how serious those dangers are and what you should do to avoid them. It's, the, it's those factual beliefs. How do values affect that? And when we say cognitive, um, we're emphasizing um, a certain theory about the mechanisms um, they're psychological mechanisms um, that connect people's values um, to their beliefs. I mean, you alluded to one idea um, that sometimes beliefs will become associated um, with meanings and, and maybe even emotional resonances um, that are threatening to things people care about. And that will have a, an influence on how they respond to information about those claims. But there are others as well. Um, ones that have to do with um, the, the selective attention um, that people give to information, uh, others with uh, whom they trust when there are debates, right? So these are all discrete mechanisms of cultural cognition. They're, they're things social psychology, including the psychology of risk, and I mentioned Paul Slovik's work on the psychometric theory. The work we do is to show how, um, when, uh, the, these, these mechanisms of cognition interact with values, you end up with systematic differences and conflicts between people who have different values. And clearly, we've been talking about culture uh, in the broad sense of a system of, of, uh, of social beliefs rather than in the more narrow sense, which may come to mind first, of essentially aesthetic culture, such as whether one prefers bluegrass or Italian opera, right? It's actually a, a, fairly, um, a, a fairly unambitious understanding of culture. Um, all we're talking about is trying to come up with a framework um, of, of how to characterize people's values in ways that we recognize they differ, um, that then have a certain general applicability 
to the range of issues um, that feature in public discussions and disagreements about science, right? So if you have a framework like that, then you'll be able to make some good predictions about wh who's going to feel one way or the other. You're going to have some ability to explain it, and you're going to have some way to, to think, well, maybe here are some ways we can figure out communication strategies um, for helping people. But we have a relatively simple framework, um, and we don't claim that it's culture, the right definition of culture. We just claim that it's the right kind of, or a useful framework to understand the issues this way. So let's dive in a little bit. Um, so if you would, um, it'd be helpful, I think, for the listeners to describe the cultural cognition, should we call it a framework, um, uh, the, uh, particularly your analysis of the, of the public, as you've been talking about. It, it asserts um, some general um, uh, uh, points about uh, the, the origins and the, the processes um, of belief formation. Um, th there's a kind of unity in this um, that we think will, the, the, the exploration of which will help to illuminate Right, why we have the, the, the range of the, of the problems that we do. <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a way of actually uh, uh, trying to, um, to integrate um, and extend um, various kinds of dynamics social psychologists and others are already familiar with. Um, we, we talk about a lot of different kinds of dynamics. Let me give you an example, um, something like the availability heuristic. All right? So Paul Slovic does work on this important work, and Danny Kahneman and others have, have extended it, that um, people tend to um, form estimations of risk that are disproportionately responsive to, the, to, to, to readily recallable, vivid instances um, of, of some kind of misfortune. Right? So maybe they, they hear about Chernobyl or a, or a Three Mile Island they don't hear about all the times when the nuclear power plant is working properly and so forth and so on. So because that comes to mind and it's vivid, um, they overestimate the likelihood um, uh, that, uh, that there'll be dangers with uh, nuclear power plants. Well, here's a question. Why do some people um, uh, have available some kinds of misfortunes and other people other kinds of misfortunes? If, if some people, when they hear news about something like a, a mass shooting, a Columbine situation, well, what, what's noticeable to them, what, what sticks with them, what then becomes the available image that informs their later estimation of how risky gun possession is, is, is the actual massacre. Um, somebody else, though, sees the, the, the story and attends to a detail that was overlooked by the other person that these incidents end when somebody, uh, a private citizen, is able to obtain a weapon um, and to use it defensively, um, or maybe uh, some aspect of the story that suggests somebody um, was prevented from, from interrupting the accident through the use of the defensive weapon. And so for that person, the, the incident becomes a kind of vivid and available uh, representation of what the risks of too much gun control would be. Both of those fit the, the availability heuristic, but what you want to know is how does one in the same uh, mechanism 
generate these opposing views. The theory we have is that there, there are individual differences in, in the, how these mechanisms operate can be identified um, with certain kinds of latent attitudes, understandings about how society should be organized that make people selectively attend to uh, the kinds of stories um, that are congenial to how they would like to think society should work. But the goal is really to, um, to, to uh, furnish an account of individual differences uh, that uh, will, in, will fit in with lots of things that we already know about how, how people form different risk perceptions. Since you've already softened them up with one XY diagram, perhaps, <laughs> perhaps a nice diagram with the X and Y axis and, and it, with labels at the top and the bottom, uh, perhaps that would give them a clear picture of, uh, of the overall. This is a very uh, uh, spare um, uh, conceptualization which has certain virtues if you're trying to to test things and if you're trying to connect lots of disparate things. But we have a framework for characterizing people's values. Um, it, we, we actually, it's, it's a, something we've adapted uh, from an anthropologist, uh, Mary Douglas, and her collaborator, political scientist, uh, Aaron Woldovsky, who did a work they called the cultural theory of risk, um, that uh, characterizes people's worldviews or preferences about how society should be organized along two, you can think of cross-cutting dimensions. If you want to think of a picture, it's a two by two, right? But, but one dimension of people's worldviews, uh, uh, how much uh, a differentiation, authority, um, hierarchy, command and control do they want versus how much equality um, do they want. People, people not subject uh, to the authority of people who have some kind of a, of, of uh, formal and enduring um, status. Uh, the other dimension would be uh, uh, how uh, 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 oriented society is to providing for uh, collectively for individual needs. Is it society's responsibility to provide people's needs and, and do those, the, 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 the social uh, function in doing that take precedence over uh, individual interests on the one hand, or a more individualistic understanding where people think you should be securing your own flourishing without assistance and also without interference, right? So we have ways of trying to, to measure um, those attributes in people, and then those are the, the primary um, uh, predictive variables um, in the theory, right? So we, we use those to form hypotheses um, about uh, who is going to fear what and why. And then we use a variety of methods, um, sometimes survey methods, but often experimental methods um, to try to, um, to, to confirm the predictions and also identify um, what those discrete mechanisms that I was talking about before are.